0: Hey, 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 welcome to the Wealth and Business Podcast. I'm so super fired up on this episode because I've got a good, good, good friend. we built a massive connection over the last two years. We've been coming back and forth, coming back and forth, trying to get him on the podcast. But finally, today is happening and I'm so super excited that he's driven all the way down to the podcast studio where we're actually recording his life at the moment. And we already started some few conversations and it's been absolutely powerful powerful and i'm so super excited that this episode is going to blow you away so without further ado i want to welcome my good friend My brother from another mother, (laughs) Mr. Mr. Patrick Henry. Mr. Patrick Henry is in property. He's been in property for about 11 years. He's a property developer, a lettings agent, a sales agent. And also, he's doing so many amazing things within the property space. And he's the one to reckon with when you talk about investing property in London, around Southwest as well. So he's doing so massive things in the property space right now. So without further ado, I want to welcome Mr. Patrick Henry. Henry, how you doing, my brother? Thank you, sir. I'm good, brother. How are you? Not bad, not bad, not bad. Pleasure to be here. Finally, I mean, finally, finally, finally got to be here. <laughs> the wrestling through London traffic to get here. We made it. We you made, made it, absolutely, absolutely. So for those who don't really know you, so, mm-hmm. because you do a lot of things in the property space, right? Mm-hmm. You're dipping your toes into many things and they've all been really successful. Obviously, Property investing is not easy, right? Yeah. So I want to really kind of deep into your background, how you got started over 11 years ago. So how did you get into property and at what stage did you literally branch from one, one, one sector to the other within the property space?
1: Sure. So I started off as an estate agent. I kind of fell into it because I came out of university with a degree in music and that's not very helpful when you're trying to get into property. So the right job just fell on my lap, went into estate agency moved up the ranks and at that point I was going to leave estate agency because I kind of became disillusioned by the whole thing and I thought about property development. I didn't have money, I hadn't developed a property before but through my time as an estate agent I'd picked the brains of a lot of developers so I've listened to solicitors talking, listened to planning applications going through and what it meant to the property and what you could do with certain properties what you couldn't do. Just learned maybe 15% of each skill, like I was never going to be a 100% solicitor, I was never going to be a 100% surveyor or builder or whatever else, but my plan was to have a cursory level of knowledge with every practice yeah. so that I could speak to someone about the legal ramifications of XYZ. Yeah. I could speak to a builder about what steels and facades and what drainage and basic things. Mm. But my plan wasn't a builder or whatever else. It was yeah. always going to be, I want to have an overview of everything because yeah. my long-term view was to have things going on around me, multiple things going on around me, which feed each other. Yeah. So a estate agency that feeds an investment company, that fields a building company. Yeah, uh, yeah th- Those three of yeah. the industry yeah. were what I was interested in, how one could feed the other, and also why nobody was really doing it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I kind of fell into the uh, property development because I had the knowledge. I didn't have the money. Um, then I found someone that had the money but didn't have the knowledge. And I was like, right, let's make this work. And yeah. then, yeah, um, it went on, on from there.
0: Wow, wow. So you build a massive ecosystem very quickly. Uh, just from working in a lessons agent's office or shop or whatever we want to call it, you basically mm-hmm. build that small knowledge and gradually you gradually expanded into... Yeah. You know, yeah. from development to um sales, from that to you know, having your own construction company. Yep. 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 Great. So let's let's really talk about that. So you mentioned at the beginning, you said I went to school like everybody else. I didn't have mm. knowledge, I didn't have the money that's mm-hmm. required, but I go into lessons agents anyway. Mm. So do you wanna kind of talk through so you know, the one of the major or two or major challenges that you literally, you know, faced before you actually Got the letters agent job, and from that, how you overcome being a musician, you you started music, and how that skill was very quickly transferred into an entrepreneur.
1: So I guess the the same problems that I had, I didn't have any experience. So when I handed my CV out in my local area, nobody would actually call me back and get give me an interview. And to me, that was eye opening. I was thinking that I could turn up with an cv written well obviously i've got someone else to write it for me um get a nice cv written up <laughs> and um I, I thought i would hand it out and then i'll get called in for interviews and then i would obviously do my thing in the interview be fine but yeah. it was more difficult than that i ended up going for a recruitment consultant and uh, the recruitment consultant actually found me the job uh my first job which was for the top office uh for kfh which is kidney folkard and hayward so yeah. one of london's biggest estate agents privately owned um and it was basically like landing on my feet because if i'd have taken the job from the people who i handed my cv into initially i know i don't think i would have gone as far you know that first step i had the awesome manager she's a, probably the best estate agent i've ever met she's incredible um and she was willing to whip me into shape so i came from sutton where you don't pronounce your t's and you talk like that yeah. and so I, t- I turned up to an interview and this lady's very well spoken and so first of all i'm like. Oh shit! So I'm putting on my best posh accent, like (laughs) (laughs) pronouncing my T's, over pronouncing them properly. Yeah. Um. And she kind of took a punt on me. She said, "You know, you know what? I can see something in you. We need to brush up on some things, but whatever else." And so then, for the first year or two, she was beating it into me, you know, how to speak. So so, you know, pronouncing my words, using the correct words, um, which is always important to me. Now I think about it more and more. I'm thinking about when I first started how i may have come across and then how i now come across and the transition is there's a, there's, there's a gulf in between wow and if it wasn't for her actually taking the time to to get that out of me and if i didn't learn from her the way i did then it would have been a lot more, i think it would have been a lot more difficult so being willing to adapt to those sort of situations where i wasn't gonna say well i'm not changing the way that i speak or I'm not changing the way that I dress. Obviously, yeah. I didn't have a suit, and I, you know, I guess that could be a barrier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> You're supposed yeah. to turn up in a suit. So I probably had some horrible suit when I first started. Yeah. Terrible looking tie and whatever else. And, yeah. you know, all, all those barriers to in- entry, but another barrier to entry was that I knew nothing about the agency. Because you it was in music. Yeah, I was in music. So it's like, you know, I, I knew I could sell as in, I, I knew that I was good at talking to people, um, but that was my only tool. Literally my only tool was that and determination. That literally, literally, what it was. Um, and uh, I know a lot of people that start in the state agency, don't get to grips of it, and then d- d- peter out within a, a year or so. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to hit the ground running. I'm going to just go for it. You know, nothing's going to get in my way if I can change the way I dress, change the way I talk, and if I can adapt, then I'm going to make a real good go of it. And
0: well, wow, and wow, it's it's quite interesting because. I've had so many conversations now with a lot of people on this podcast, and one thing I keep finding out that in order to be successful in anything is determination, mm-hmm. it's your drive, is the energy level, yeah. is your ability to adapt. And all I can already hear from you, this conversation is adapt, adaption. You know, is your ability to have the right energy, the right level of knowledge and the right level of being able to be coachable and mentored. Mm. Because this individual who actually got you started in your property journey, yep. even though it wasn't a paid mentorship, mm-hmm. all right, but it was actually her mentorship that got you started anyway. Yeah, for sure. And then today you are a very successful, you know, property investor, property estate uh, agency mm. company and also a property developer. Mm. So what made you trans transitioned from just being a, a you know a general license agent mm. or a sales agent who got a job you know w- why didn't you stay there why did you go into entrepreneurship and now mm. owning your own business what was the mindset because definitely you you studied music mm. and music and business is opposite mm. so yeah. how did i think when i
1: first started out it's it reminds me of um what was that saying about we live in an island of our knowledge surrounded by a sea of ignorance. As an island of knowledge grows, so does the shore of our ignorance. Yeah. So it's like, you're not even aware of all of the things you're unaware of. Yeah. I don't know all the things I'm not aware of. Mm. But I, I know this—the small things that I think I know, but there are things that I don't know, and then there are things I don't even know exist that I don't know. So f- for me, it was when I first started out, it was, I've got Alzheimer's and... Uh, dementia in my family on both sides so my dad's gonna lose his mind um my mum's worked all her life for me um and i don't want to be taking money uh from her i want to be able to provide for her so yeah. <clears throat> mum talk gets me worked up <laughs> mm. um so initially the goal was to um provide for my parents wow. uh, provide for myself. Then when I started and I realized, hold on, I can really do this. And it was like, okay, the goal now is this. Wow. And then after a couple of years, it was like, hold on, that's e- that's I can easily do that. The goal wow. now is this. So every year, the reason why I write goals every year and the reason why I look back on my old goals mm. is because I keep reminding myself, I need to keep reminding myself, one, your goals are probably too low for a, for a start because you can achieve more than you think you can. Um, two, you're completely unaware of what you can achieve even to put it down on paper. Mm. So if when I first started out in the state agency, if I'd have said, and actually I've got this from about 10 years ago, I've got a goal for when I get to 40. Wow. And my goal for when I get to 40 now is completely different. But the fact that I wrote it down was like, you know, this is what I'm aiming for. It sets the pathway. Yeah. And I always say to people, it's like doing, then we've got mazes that are written down on the, in comic, comics and whatever else. And yeah. you start at the start point and you work your way in, you get stuck and come back and da 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 but it's always easier if you start at the finish line and come back out. Mm-hmm. You never get stuck doing that. If yeah. you, there's like a trick to doing those mazes. So to me, I always liken it to my goals and my ambition in life is start with the finish and then work your way back.
0: Work your way back, yeah.
1: Yeah. So to me, uh, every time I set myself a, a goal, it was like, okay, but this is where I want to be ultimately. This might change, mm. but you know, I'm going to work it back. So what do I need to do this year? What do I need to do in two years, three years and set things up for them? Yeah. So, I think that's where the, uh, where the ambition and the, chain, the change came. Because it went from being, if I can earn 50 grand as an estate agent every year, because to me that was rich. Yeah. Like 50 grand a, a year. I was like, I <laughs> was I'm rich. But I did that in my first year. And I was like, oh, well, no, 50. what? No, I made 55, yeah, 55 in my first year. Um, and I was like, okay, well, okay. Next? the next goal was like 70, and I did like 80 something. I was like, okay, okay, now I want to be a manager. And they wouldn't give the company I was with, rightfully so, they wouldn't make me a manager because I had two years' experience. Yeah, It didn't matter that I banked more business than anyone else in the whole company. Yeah. Uh, by a long margin, apart from one other guy, it was amazing. Um, but it was the fact that I wanted to progress, not just financially and mon- monetarily. I knew that I would actually take a drop in pay from being a, a top negotiator to being a middle-of-the-road manager in some average office, and I'd have to build it up and start again, basically. But I don't think that perturbed me at all. Um, so I changed to another company that would give me the manager's role. And then when they wouldn't, when I couldn't go any further there, rather than staying and hoping that someone's going to give me a chance and a leg up, it was like, right, I need to do this myself now. And the right shop just came up, and I took the shop, and that's where Patrick Henry was
0: born. Wow. Wow. I love how you've really broken it down. And one of the biggest that I really see in your... You're so passionate hmm. and, and the biggest part of that passion is your reason why. And your reason why you said your mom, you wanted to do this for your mom, you wanted to do this for your, your dad as well, you wanted to do it for your family, you wanted to do it for yourself, mm. and because you didn't want to be in a situation whereby you're gonna keep going to kind of get the support financially from them. Yeah. And look at where you are now. Yeah. And I'm sure you. Pay must- my dad
1: SkyBill. <laughs> Every month, pay my dad SkyBill. I'm happy about that. Energy prices are going up. I've got you. Don't worry. I yeah, yeah, got, yeah, you. I've got you. I got
0: you. You don't yeah. even. You know, there's something someone said to me the other day. It's like. I had a conversation about wealth and success, and I said, mm. regardless, I don't even know whether right now in my life, I don't even know whether the petrol price have gone up.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know whether there is gas hike. Yeah. And he says, "Oh, you must." I said, "When did they increase it?" Mm. But what I'm trying to say is, for my story, I was an Uber driver.
1: Yeah.
0: I was an Uber driver in 2016, 17, 18. I quit that job. Mm. So you knew what I, the petrol prices were then. <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> every I know, penny counted. Every. £10 yeah. was a problem yeah, because yeah. I'm going to go and drive. Worst, sorry, me, me, should I use the word worst case? Mm. On an average week, I would do 18 hours of yeah. driving. How many hours is it in a day? 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So I was up for literally yeah. 18 hours a day. Yeah. And sometimes there are times where I actually drove over up to about 20 hours and slept for four hours because I had built a setting lifestyle for myself in mm. oil and gas. And I lost that business in 2015. I lost over £150,000. I look at my wife and I look so disappointed when I look at my wife. I look at my kids and I feel so disappointed. Mm -hmm. So when I started to not be the person that I am, so I keep remembering where I'm coming from, but Mm. it just feels so good to be where I am now, where there's certain amount of monies that I would not literally pander on too much because of the level of success I have personally Mm. achieved. And that's what I'm just saying with Mm. you now as well, look at where you are. So if someone told you this, that eleven years later, you know, once upon a time your goal was fifty thousand pounds a year, and yeah. today you have a, a, massive group of companies that's built a strong ecosystem mm. from development to sales to lettings, mm. you know, and uh, you coming into this building, you even walked into saw someone that you've done business with, mm. so that just goes to show, you know, it could be classified as grass to grass to grace. Mm-hmm. Or, or rack to riches mm-hmm. but there's always a deeper side of that and mm-hmm. I saw you know where you know you felt that emotion just now and I, and I want to really dig into that because success anyone can be successful right mm-hmm. but not everyone has the drive to become successful yes. and not everyone understand the pain it truly takes to build a business mm-hmm. because I think the biggest lie we've been sold is the instant gratification mentality, the microwave mentality that yes. you know you put your food in the microwave, you warm it up <laughs> in two seconds, you yeah. can have a warm food to eat. and mm-hmm. people think that is success. But success is pain. Yes greatness is pain. Yep. And I want to really dig into that pain that actually drove you to becoming, you know, when I was doing my research on you, and I saw that you you know you you're really a, a very successful you know, estate agent provider and um, a property developer and someone who's been able to provide fantastic services. You was even Mm -hmm. on the Rich at Poor House. You've been interviewed, you know, by so many, um, you know, um, business, you know, business articles out there. Mm -hmm. So that drive of you literally going from nothing Mm -hmm. to something, you know, you must have paid a lot of prices, not just the fact that, you know, you were looking to have that money or mm. create, you know, a massive income in your business, but there, were, there, there was pain in that. I'm yeah. sure you would have lost money a couple of times to building what yeah. you built. So let's 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 deep into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I guess um, one of the first things that, if I'm going to cast my mind back, one of the first things I lost was my friends. Mm. Um, I didn't have time to be going out and getting drunk and doing all. Yeah. Craziness and whatever else. Like I never did drugs, never went to Raves and whatever else. Um I think go to like beef till I was like 30. You know, I could have afforded to do it, I could afford wow. to go out and party and whatever else. But I think the first thing I lost was my my friends because a lot of them would be smoking weed and maybe going out and drinking and partying or doing drugs I wasn't I wasn't into it. So the first thing I lost was that. The second thing that um uh, I, I probably lost quite a bit of money when I broke up with an ex girlfriend. Um, because it wasn't going in the right direction, maybe broke even, but it sucked because it felt like you know I've stalled because the the plan is progress. And if you only stay on the same level, then it, actually that's a loss. You know, so to, to me, staying still is a loss because everything else keeps on rolling and you're just standing static. Um, after that, I, lost, I would say I lost myself when I set up my businesses, um, my second. So the estate agency was first, then it was a tanning salon. Um, and I would say I lost myself for a period. Um, I wasn't the same man that I, I was. Uh, I was still kind to people and still giving, but I was lost in a bit of my own success. Um, I had a couple of property deals that didn't go well because Brexit kicked off and that was obviously a big thing. Um, literally put a property on the market the day of the referendum. So I think I lost three or 400 pound grand overnight, which was great. Thanks for that. <laughs> wow <laughs> that was painful um but the getting back to the, the most important one was and it's probably something that I've only just got over recently was the losing myself bit and re finding myself um because i wanted so much for my kids and i wanted to always be there for them and always provide for them and give them things that i didn't necessarily have um the pressure of keeping a really big house was was Painful. I couldn't afford the house that we were living in. Um, as you know uh, about property purchase and created yep. ways of buying properties, yep. um, I had a, bought a house with uh, with a delayed completion. So the house was an absolute state. It's an illegal HMO, um, but it was a huge. Well, for me, it's huge two thousand something square foot detached house in Clapham. That yeah, I couldn't afford it, but I had some money, um, and I knew that the owner wanted to, some money to buy a boat. So I bought basically gave him the money to buy a boat, exchanged contracts, he could have the deposit money and we'd complete in a year or two, mm. I think it was two years actually, time or a year and a half. Um, and it, the idea was, okay, I've got a year and a half to make the rest of the money to buy yeah. the house. So it was like the clock was ticking. Also, what I didn't know was ticking was also some cogs in my head that were pinging out and I was falling apart from the stress and whatever else. Yeah. Managed and during that time I had twins and I've got a daughter that's seven and I had twins um at the same time. Um
0: was, I've seen the, I've seen your picture by the way, they're yeah. two lovely kids. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're great. They are great. Um but they sorry, I lost my train of thought there. The um during that process of the, the delayed completion, so between putting the money down and then completing on the property, invested in another house to de, to, to develop. Did it up, spent all the rest of the remaining money. There's mm. some creative ways of getting the money in the first place. And then as we put it on the market, Brexit hit. So straight 300, 400 grand, whatever it was, was wiped off the asking price. Yeah. I've got twins coming in three months, two months, I think it was. And I've got a complete on this house in around about the same time. And this house that I bought to develop to make money on, I'm going to, I'll break even on it, make a bit of money on it, but not enough. So there was all that pressure and basically I just fell apart, uh, basically. I still carried on working, but I must have been half of the person that I was. Um And so I'll be going out and I'll be doing stupid shit, which I shouldn't be doing, Um or a person of responsibility shouldn't be doing. Mm. I think it's all right to do it every so often or whatever else. Yeah, but. because
0: we all, we, all, we all get to that level in our lives. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big creative funder. Mm. I'm a big creative property investor as well. So I literally built a 7 million pound property portfolio in the last two years especially during lockdown mm. from zero so before lockdown I only owned the house that I used to live in mm. 2019 I moved that from that property we converted it to a 6 bedroom HMO and mm. uh, the outstanding mortgage is about 225. Mm. I borrowed the, the entire money to do the refurb. When we mm. finished, it was valued at 700,000 pounds. Although I made about 300 grand from mm. that pro- pro- property. So most of them went into paying off the debt. Yeah. And I bought another house and I used creative strategy to buy another one that we moved into with a delay completion. Yeah. So when you're talking about delay completion, I understand where you're coming from yeah. because <laughs> I bought one myself mm. and it was at a point of almost falling apart as well. Mm. And I ended up spending about 50 grand. That I did not even budget, mm. and, and and the reason why these kind of conversations are quite good for me sometimes, you know, you're doing a lot of creativity, and sometimes you might think you're the only one that's doing
1: yeah, creativity. Yeah. But
0: just sitting down here, you talked about creativity, just that like, okay, we're in the same boat together. Mm. Because when you are, I remember in two thousand when when lockdown hit in March, I was in two hundred thousand pounds plus in debt, mm. and that was the first time I was in that sort of debt level, mm. and I'm like. Oh my days how am I gonna get I remember waking up from my sleep and I was I was full of just sweat, sweat yeah and I'm yeah. like how am I gonna pay but the deal was still all right everything was yeah. going all right, but it was just my mind trying to tell me I was small when I know I'm a bigger person. It was my mind trying to plant a lot of negativity so Mm. it fails. Because remember, success is all about success and greatness is you're constantly in a battle with yourself, Mm. not with others. Mm. And you saying what you just said now, I just connect with you straight away because... In just before lockdown or during lockdown, sorry, between February and March, April last year, um, in two thousand and twenty, it's two years already. <laughs> no. No. So I wasn't that sort of you know place where mm. I I'm, I I felt like I was screwed now because I couldn't revalue. Yep.
1: Uh,
0: yep. property activity ceased, mm. and I had to learn to flow through. For like the next four months yeah. till June, when the market opened again, mm. and July, I think around July, I got that money back in, and everyone that I owed the two hundred thousand pounds was like a lion ready to suck my blood. Yeah, <laughs> of course, <laughs> I owe <got> that money. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought I'd quickly mm-hmm. chip in that you know because yes, it, it's good. It's good for people to know the mm-hmm. real the real side of. Trying to build a successful business yeah. because it's not it's not all that glitters, right? Mm. You have to pay the price. Yeah. Success is. I say. I say this all the time. Success is painful. Yes, and it's growing only, pains. It's yeah, like, gro- when yeah. we're
1: young, you're, you're, your body hurts from growing. Yeah, that's li- literally what it is when you're building something that isn't you have never bought, built before. Yeah, when you're when you're stretching out, when you're reaching new plateaus, that hurts because. You've got to go through some pain to get there. The, the, the pain that you got to go through might be setbacks. It might be finding out that you're just wrong. It might be finding out that people around you are, are, are cheats and liars, or you've been sold a lie, or so, you know something along those lines. But there's there's always something because. To I I think, when it comes to, moving on and pushing forward in life, you have to be like you are when you're falling in love. If you fall in love with your guard up. Or if you approach women with your guard up, as in like, I don't want to be hurt, I don't want to be intimidated, I don't want to be like you know cheated on or whatever else, you're never going to fully open up to someone. That means you're never going to get the most out of, of them. out of them, out of the relationship. Um, the same the same with business. You have to be willing to walk in there, chest, chest puffed up. You know, I'm not scared of anything. I'm not crossing my arms. I'm not worried. I'm not trying to you know keep myself comfortable. You know, I'm there like like a warrior. Like I know this could be the end of me, but also I know that I can win.
0: Great.
1: Yeah, that's and that's that's the only way. I think that's a, that is pretty much the same for every single situation yeah. where you're achieving new levels, whether it's sports, finance, even playing the guitar. Like learning to play the guitar, it hurts like a bitch on your fingertips. Like if you're playing a still strong guitar, it pushing your fingers in the the pain in your muscles to get used to gripping the guitar for however long that hurts. I do jiu jitsu now, and I've never felt pain in so many weird and wonderful places. But I know once I get past that, yeah, there'll always be injuries and, and whatever else. But the initial growing pains of it, I'm gonna my body's going to get used to it, my mind's going to get used to it, and so I, I can't think of one situation where, as humans, we try and progress without there being pain. And you know, hopefully, you can enjoy it
0: the pain <laughs> wow 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 fantastic Patrick man I really appreciate you you know you've been honest and very open and just kind of sharing to our audience uh you know your audience as well you know the pain is taking you to kind of achieve the level of success that you have so now let's go into the success bit so we've gone through all the pains you know and in your story and just kind of getting to know you and you know uh, uh, know who you are so tell us how has you know, you being the the CEO, the founder of Patrick Henry's, how's it been? How's that journey been?
1: Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Um, I had a small recording studio before I opened Patrick Henry, um, but I shut it down because me and my friends, my partners, we didn't quite click in the same way. You have to be very careful with your partners, whether it's love or whether it's uh, business relationships. You have to be very careful because once you're in, Bed with someone, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know that that, that you're there. You know, if you've got a business partner, you better hope that they're there with you for the long run, because yeah. it would be very messy. Like with a marriage, if it breaks up, it's going to be messy. If there's kids involved, like you could liken them to like employees of the company yeah. or investors of the company, it's going to get messy. It's, mm. it's just all going to be bad. So. They didn't work with the uh, recording studio, so I sat up with Patrick Henry by myself um, all the people I spoke to said, don't have partners, just do it yourself, just do it yourself. Um, so Patrick Henry, I did it myself and there was a lot of lessons, it's a, it a whole roller coaster From when we first started, the first celebration of getting the first client um, to then having some sales go through and they, they were falling through because the, there was a mortgage reform underway. And people were losing their mortgages, and that meant that I wasn't getting any money in, and, oh, my God, I'm going to go bankrupt. I wasn't, didn't pay my tax bills for a certain amount of time and, you know, whatever else to, to re, try to learn about that, how you can navigate that situation, what bills can be delayed, what bills have to be paid. Um, hiring people for the first time, interviewing people for wow. the first time. Tell know? me about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And realizing, um you know, you, you have this glamorous view in your head about um, being able to help people and give people that leg up. And then you get knocked back because you've given someone a chance that clearly didn't deserve it, and it still happens to me now. I still give people chances when I shouldn't give people chances, mm. but um, you know, I just take that as part of the parcel now. Yeah, I just take that as you know, as part of the game. And then estate agency, as, as it's moved on, learning better ways of working the estate agency, having better practices in place, better workflows in place. Um, even the way we take our money from our let properties and managed properties. I was sick of this feast and famine that we'd go through because mo- apart from COVID period, most of sales and lettings is cyclical. So Christmas time, dead, no money. February letting starts happening. Yeah, and then all oh, the sales market yeah. kicks in. And so, and then it's, it's like done. a roller coaster, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> like a roller coaster, then forget it for a couple months of um summer, forget it for a couple months of Christmas. I was sick of the ups and downs because I'd be like, riding a wave and thinking I'm king of the world and then I'll be like thinking oh my god the company's gonna go bankrupt so I started taking our fees differently than how we've taken them before um but really Patrick Henry is my it's something that I enjoy um I I enjoy getting to know people helping people through the process um and I just I just enjoy the whole now I do now now I enjoy the whole business of it before when I was going to quit as an estate agent it was because I just became disillusioned I didn't like the way people went about things you know convincing people to see a property that they obviously don't want to see just because you want to get your viewing figures up or yeah um telling lies to clients it happens so often and I was, I was sick of it I didn't, I didn't like it I was like you don't need to lie True. you, yep. you, don't, you don't need to lie if you can't it's, it's going to come out at some point and if you're going to get called a liar or someone's going to know that you would lied and you know and then your reputation's gone So for me, I get to run my do estate agency the way that I want to do it, which is very personable. Um, That's why the team's not big. There's only four of us. Um, But to me, it doesn't matter. Um, I've got a certain amount of money that comes in monthly from my lettings and management, and that's just cool. And then I've got sales, um, which I like to take care of because I enjoy it. Um, So it's not about becoming a billionaire of my estate agency. That's not actually my goal for the estate agency. It's to have an estate agency arm of the group of companies, but also to have something that, where I can turn up to work and enjoy.
0: Because
1: mm. um, it feels good to be able to do your job and someone says, oh, you're really good at this. I know it might be a bit of ego in yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. but to, to me, it's almost like um, there are so few estate agents that are actually good at their job. Yeah. If someone, t- someone you know to, to, to almost like give someone a positive impression of estate agents is it's good for me. So. Yeah, that one's that not really about the money. Mm-hmm. Um, like The tanning shops to me is... i got two tanning shops, and for me, they're minimum input. I don't need to do a lot. Um, my business partners need to do a lot, you know, and it's constant money coming in. There's yeah. very few people that work there, which means less less dramas. Less, less dramas. Yeah, less, yeah.
0: less cost as well. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's a steady business, and I know um, I can... I can almost guess how much money we're gonna make Mm. almost so i know like it's a it's a steady sure thing and i think a part of me needed that in my life where it's something that's consistent and steady it's not setting the world alight we're not making millions but you know what it's consistent it's steady it means even if everything goes bad with everything else i'm doing there's this little trick of money that's going to keep on being there my kids will stay fed and the bills will be paid yeah um with a building company which is split into two. So Reliance Incorporated is the parent company. We've got Reliance Design and Build and Reliance Health. Uh, Reliance Design and Build is property, refurbishment, extensions. We don't do anything small like bathrooms and kitchens, but extensions and full developments we do. Um, And then Reliance Health, which is working in hospitals, doing medical installation, uh, medical maintenance, uh, maintenance of equipment. Um, So these two uh, arms of Reliance Incorporated. Now this is for profit yeah this, this is something that, that, that to me is like we'll grow it as much as we can mm. maybe have an exit strategy um that's what that's for so i've got my solid base of patrick henry and, and and radiance with reliance i'm just trying to i want to build it up yeah um because the medical industry is a big industry absolutely the property game is uh, i'm always going to have developments to do and we're never going to be short of work in the building company so actually that's very safe as well um and then i just got to bring the next part in which is the um investment arm
0: which i'll be hopefully doing this year it's one of my goals to do this year wow 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 so yeah and i think there's one part you haven't actually touched as well the development side because i saw there was there was a big development that you i saw uh, i think for social media somewhere because i know you're into development as Mm -hmm. well so you are you buying lands and building houses or are you basically buying and just destroy you you know you know, demolishing and rebuilding with business mm. partners or a venture funding.
1: So I, I never say I never say no to an investment or to some something uh, just out of hand. I always have a look into it and see if it works for me. Mm. Um, I haven't invested in a property to develop personally in about a year and a half. Mm. That's per- partly personal reasons why, um, as in my life and my finances. Absolutely. Um, the other side is. I felt that there was too much money uh, floating around. People were paying too much for properties. Uh, people weren't caring about the margins
0: as much. Yeah, right now, true.
1: Yeah, it's just right too
0: happening right now. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> people are going crazy. I and mean, people are buying properties. And as an estate agent and as someone who owns a building company, I look at the numbers. I'm like, hold on, you're buying for this much. You're spending this much. You're going to sell for this much. Is, is all of that worth what you're going to be making at the end of it? And to me, I haven't seen a deal in a while where I, where I've been in a position to buy it where I thought that's a good deal. Um, I mean, the first deal I made that did was probably the best deal. Um, we bought it five fifty, spent one hundred and fifty, so now we're at seven. We sold one flat for six sixty and one flat for five sixty. Wow! So you know, it's not one hundred percent return, but with leverage, it was one hundred percent return. Yeah. Which is just insane um the second property Brexit happened uh the third one is my house um which was actually a really good return in the end um even though it took a year to do because Lambeth council are just Lambeth council um so then <laughs> then then one small project after that which yeah. me and i did yeah. um obviously the guy helps on rich house poor house with yeah um so but since, since then it's only been if someone brings me something and i can See it working, like people throw me different options all the time, but to me, it's not worth my, my time. Um, but it will. It, I'm not saying it's not going to happen in the future because I think it will. Because I, I I'm hoping to buy a property this year. Yeah. Um, but I think you have to move with the markets, and I think that in the '80s, '90s, even 2000s, uh, property was always going up in London. So it's, it's something that people always say, property always goes up. It's like mm, nothing always goes up. I mean, if you look at if you look at Clapham, for example, um, f- some flats are still not back to the pre Brexit prices. Some certain styles of flats, ex council flats, are not yeah. back to pre Brexit prices. Uh, houses are more expensive than pre Brexit prices. Um, certain flats are, well, actually, certain flats are a flat on five six years ago. Yeah. So actually, things don't always go up. And the number of clients I've got in my estate agency company where. They're either losing money on their property that they bought how many years ago, or they're breaking even. That to me is a sign that people are willing to overpay or not think astutely about how much they're spending.
0: Would would you say, because that's quite something I like to literally dig in a little bit. You said people are actually losing money in their property Mm -hmm. rather than actually making money. Would you think, because right now I say this all the time, in the last two years, last year alone we bought four properties and um, the year before um, we bought two and the previous year one so I say at the moment the only people who can really make good money in property mm-hmm. are those who are very well educated and mm-hmm. um, obviously education means mentorship. discussing with someone mm-hmm. like you, paid mentorship, coaching, training, yep. seminars you know being in the mm-hmm. room of lots of other investors and see what they're doing so you can yep. go and do it for yourself and um, the conventional way of investing in property right now, if you want to invest in property, you're going to lose money straight away.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that the majority of people investing in property, specifically in London, I don't know much about the out, outside of London.
0: Yeah, a lot of people are, a lot of people yeah. people are rushing up north and all these places yeah. because they can't invest in London. But yeah. would you say the conventional way at the moment, it's, you know, is it your opinion that the conventional way doesn't really work? Yeah, it
1: doesn't work. I mean, if you go to any au- auction you'll see that people are willing to pay near enough the same price as they're gonna pay in a, if it was for an estate agent. That's why auctions are, are so popular at the moment, even with uh, people just selling regular properties. So like, hold on, I don't need to go for an estate agent and worry about sales falling through. Once the hammer drops, I get the money. Like, you know, so if everybody's got so much money because interest rates are so low that people don't know where to put their money, and as a country we are we're of the mindset that you have to own your own property you have to buy a property properties always only go up because it for a snapshot of most of our history property owning history which yeah. is, is 100 years old um property prices have been going up but you know what are you using as a metric for this are you uh, what are you using to to base that assumption that property prices always go up yeah. what you're using is a time a, a place in time where People were allowed to become homeowners, so um, they had council flats, Margaret Thatcher allowed them to have the right to buy the properties. We now have, um, or we have had for the past 10 or so years, net uh, immigration of 240-something thousand a year. So population is going up, demand is going up, and they're not building enough properties um, that they still haven't... It, it, in order government and local councils knowledge and wisdom they still haven't managed to cut through the red tape that they've been talking about for years yeah making it more difficult for people to build properties certain councils are absolute I think thieves when it comes to the way that they tax people for developing properties like Croydon council with their taxes that they have on conversions and new builds it's like don't you want new properties in your area like if you go to Lambeth and you go to Wandsworth you will know which borough you're in because Wandsworth's very well developed and they've got nice uh, new build properties and extensions are all uniform and all nice. You got Lambeth and it's hickety pickety. They're, they're now trying to get people to do it where they are, making people pay for HMO licenses. So they've got three people in the property, which is just another tax. Um, you've got sill tax if you want to convert a house into flats. Um, new build developments get taxed as well. So, do you want properties for people to live in? Or do you not want properties for people to live in? And do you want the prices to go up? Because the only way you're gonna keep prices down is if you tell people how much they can rent their property for or sell their property for. And that's communism, And I don't want communism or even extreme socialism. It's not good. Um, Absolutely. To be able to tell people what they have to do, what they have to do with the assets. The only way you can get out of this uh, trap where we don't have enough properties for people is to make it easier to build properties or incentivize people to buy properties. You know you, you want less petrol stations opening you incentivize people to buy electric cars you do a scrappage scheme or you um uh, give a discount on uh, electrical su- suppliers for or people that fit electrical su- um, charging points in lamp posts or people's houses or whatever else that's how you move away from it you don't move away from it by taxing the people that are building the thing that you want that's, that's completely counterintuitive um I, I can't remember why we got onto this. You know, I'm just rambling about. <laughs>
0: about no, no. Honestly, I, 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 it, it's 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 a great validation of of the point that the conventional way is no longer the, the, the yeah. you know the way of investing. However, the unconventional way is still where is is where you can actually still build wealth. Yes. is still where you can become a portfolio millionaire, a property yeah. millionaire tomorrow. Um, so. Now, talking about the conventional way and the unconventional mm. way. Now, you have been in the industry for like 11 years. You mm. know, uh, oh, that's about almost half of the years I've been mm. in property now. I've been in property for six years. And I literally had so much success during the most difficult time, mm. uh, which was lockdown, you know, doing a lot of creative deals. Yeah. Um, because one thing I learned, is, says in the times of uh, austerity and famine, get greedy and get creative and work. And I think I learned that and I used that a lot during the lockdown and I've been able to, I was able to do a lot of transactions. And in my industry where, for example, we do a lot of creativity as a property investor and also as a success uh, uh, coach and mentor, one thing is I always say to people it is that anyone can go and buy a house. You don't need to get educated. Anyone can go and buy a house. You don't need to seek the advice of a license agent. You don't need to seek advice of anybody. Mm. But it's just down to what you want to achieve. Because most people that I know Mm. buy properties Mm. for the sake of buying property to, like you said, own the property to live in, which then comes to, do you understand the difference between good debt and bad debt? Mm. Because some people will buy property and it's still a bad debt because it's you're buying in, a, in an area that probably the selling prices has already been hit. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you do to those properties, yeah. you can't you, you can't get, get money out of it. You just have to wait for maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Uh, and there's something I say all the time, I've I've got an uncle that I know from church and he owns 20 properties. And yet he still do does one of the most, you know, interesting jobs mm. that I would never do even if yeah. I was to be paid X amount of money a month. And I, and I asked him Wow, how come you own 20 properties? What's your income? Now mm. I'm literally making less than, I think it's making less than 2 to 3K a month cash flow. And I'm like, 20 houses? And I said, how much are they mm. worth? And he gave me the worth of the houses. I'm like, okay. And instantly, I went into speaking to a lot more people and I started to realize that there are a lot of property land, you know, owners who are landlords yeah. who are broke being landlords rather than yeah. actually rich being landlords. So rich yeah. means time rich rich means mm. you know having the freedom to do what you love and above all financial freedom right yeah. because a lot of people get into property because they want to have financial freedom right but yeah. in a situation where you can't make that happen then what's the point so it yeah. goes back to us talking about the conventional way and the unconventional way and i mean it's quite great to know that you've agreed that the unconventional way is the way forward oh, yeah. which is yeah, which yeah. brings in a lot of creativity
1: yeah you have to i think um in a market that is flooded and it's flooded because there's so much liquid there's so much liquidity in the market mm-hmm. when there's that much liquidity in the market and when everybody's already caught on to all of this all of the tricks and whatever else you have to be, take it to a next level of creativity if you want to stay in that market it's um so for example when i bought my house the reason why i got it for so cheap is because nobody had done what i was planning to do do it and then i did it and then the prices went up in, in the road because now people can already see the trick when I bought my first property, it was a row of shops with um residential unit above. I mean, there's one door, so mm-hmm. it would have been a shopkeeper and he would have lived upstairs. Derelict derelict property in a small strip of shops. I knew as an estate agent, remember I said I want to learn a little bit of everything. As yeah. an estate agent, I knew, and as someone that paid attention to developers and, well, actually news as well, um, I knew that these shops could be turned into residential units um, very easily. So to me, as I looked at it, I was like, Nobody else knows this trick, and that's why the return was so high. Was, like I said, it's about one hundred percent when you take leveraging into account. Yeah. So the only reason why I managed to do that is because I knew a trick that nobody else knew. As soon as I bought that place, and this is no word, word of a lie, bought a place for five fifty, did it up, sold it. The place two doors down, after I'd done all of that, sold for nine hundred. So when nobody knew the tricks, five fifty, after. I'd shown the trick because it's all public knowledge. The website's all public knowledge. Then all of a sudden it's worth 900. And someone bought it at 900 and I went and saw him and I was shocked. And I was like, you're not gonna make any money. You're you're a problem with the market. Like you're a problem with investing in property right now because you're willing to overpay for something just because it seems foolproof or bulletproof or whatever else. I'm not in it for the, the small margin that everyone makes once they know the tricks. I'm in it for being there at the beginning so Bitcoin four years ago or whatever yeah. but, you know, something like that <laughs> you know, it's just to give a, a crass example or you know a Facebook stock when it first came out Amazon you know all those people that gave Jeff Bezos like 100 pounds back in the day for 0.1 percent share in the company and now they're all billionaires and you know I, I want to be there before the trick is before the magician shows you how the do, yeah. trick yeah that's that's the the way to make money it's all, always has been catching the wave beforehand if your investment plan is, just something i just want to be able to put my money somewhere and diversify my portfolio i'm all up for that and i think people should do that in property as they do with other assets as long as the tax system is right which is not right now for people but you should diversify and you should do do things traditionally in property if you've got you've got the money and you're not looking to make crazy returns or like you know make 20 percent a year if you're making it your future if you're building building a lifestyle or living or wealth from it then you need to know the tricks and you need to be creative like you said and get in there with tricks that nobody's heard of before because as soon as you do it a few times and you make a lot of money good margins on it some other person or 10 other people are going to use that same trick then all of a sudden you're going to make half the margin yeah once once the trick's been exposed that's the door closed
0: Wow, success lives close. They say, doesn't it? (laughs) Now, I mean, coming to my you know you know to the end of this uh, uh, chat with you, I thought it was quite important for me to talk talk about wealth because I over over during our conversation a few times, it's leading me into wealth. Uh, Mm. One of the things I always I love to talk about is wealth creation because I'm I'm very passionate about wealth and Mm. I became passionate about wealth because. I personally brainwashed myself to becoming wealthy and it's nothing, it's something that's never happened in my, you know, I've got like a few family members back home in Nigeria that are quite, Mm. you know, well to do with, but in terms of wealth, wealth is something that it's nothing. It's, it's something that's not really discussed a lot Mm. in the West, especially in London. Mm. Uh, You know, people, people always tend to talk about just, um, I want to be rich mm. and maybe I own one or two houses. I'm able to pay my bills, you mm. know, and, you know, financial freedom is great. Uh, and I've got money to spend go on holidays. Wealth is not really a topic yeah. that is so strong and powerful because yeah. people don't understand how to literally transfer, especially within the ethnic minority mm. as well. So you talk about wealth just now, and I thought I'd really ask you a question. So for you, what does wealth mean to you and what does wealth transfer also mean to you at the same time
1: so i think wealth is one of those words that doesn't necessarily have to be just to be really abstract about it wealth doesn't have to be money related yeah Uh, you can be wealthy in love wealthy in uh, happiness and abundance and all all these other things if we're talking about wealth i think that people don't talk about it because of a number of reasons uh one of them is which 50, 60 years ago, we were just all even in, in, in this country. Let's not talk about the rest of the world; it has its own problems. But this country alone, <laughs> like you were working to make uh, to live, yeah, like and that's this the way it was. The coal coal miners, like where my dad was up north, you know. But once they took the coal mines away, that was it. They had nothing. Um, so just the idea of surviving was wealth. Um, nowadays, we've got so much more. Food is 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 cheap relatively to the past ever. You know, you don't have to go find it on the floor and or pick it out of a tree anymore, and it doesn't cost you loads of money like it used to. Because there's so many different supermarkets, there's so much supply. We've got GMOs that just produce food left, right, and centre. So the, the, we're not wealth is no longer having food. It used to be like I've got a big fat belly, therefore I'm wealthy. You know what I mean? And that's pretty much every culture. Yeah, that's every culture. You know, it used to, like, especially in Africa. Yeah, Africa. I mean, I've been uh, my my kid's mum's Russians. So I've been to Russia, and like you know, the big thing is like big. Big belly, big guy, oh he eats well. He, you know he's got money. You know, so people used to work for the government in the Soviet times. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, he's got money because the size of his belly. You know, that's not wealth now. Wealth is health. Some people wealth is. Da-da-da. But I don't think we talk about I don't think we talk about it because parents haven't experienced it. And it's almost as though you need someone to do it first or someone to discover it first, for then it to be spoken about. So it's culture-based. And it's education based to me culture because I don't think that being where I'm from in in, in Clapham We've got a large uh, Asian population Indian Pakistani Bangladeshi population and the amount of wealthy Asian people I know purely because of their culture Is unreal. So first of all, they don't speak they didn't come over here speaking the language got different skin color and um, they've, they they come with baggage, like for families and whatever mm-hmm. else. So it's not like just a, a man by himself coming over here yeah. and trying to make it. Yeah, they got this this baggage, but they, and again I'm generalising, but you you know, you understand the point I'm Absolutely. making. Absolutely, I get know, it. Work every hour under the sun, you know, in the corner shops or whatever else, um, and then they wouldn't spend the money. They they're very humble with with the way they're spending the money, and they amassed wealth. I don't know if it was because they that's what their plan was, but to them it was like, well, we work. Shitloads of hours, it's just what we do. So that's that's a great bit of culture there, working lots of hours, working hard, not necessarily working the smartest way possible because there are better ways of making money, but that's what they knew and that's what they did. Oh, invest the money. Don't spend the money on Louis Vuittons or Christian Louis Vuittons, whatever. Let's put the money into something which we can see, um, you know, something tangible like property. Um, and that happened, I mean, honestly, the, the amount of people that I know from that generation that have done phenomenally well it's is crazy. But on the flip side, my West Indian family, my granddad was born in Cuba, raised in Jamaica. The people that came over from the West Indies didn't do uh, it to the same degree what the Asians did. Yeah. And that, that's that, the, the, the reason why that's interesting to me is um, when we're talking about uh, race before and immigra- immigrants, blah, yep. blah, blah, blah. to me, um, there's no difference between. Uh, a, a, a black and Asian person if a racist white person's looking at them. Yeah. So white people in general don't care what colour your skin is in general. Then you get like 10-15% of people, or whatever percentage it is that are souls and racist and whatever else. They'll be racist to an Eastern European, an African, a Caribbean, uh, an Inuit. Uh, I mean, if there's any Mayans left in South South America, they'll be racist to them as well. But So these Asians came, came over and West Indians came over around about you know, at the same time a- asians were a bit later but their mentality to work and saving and investment is bet which is better if if you if, if what your goal is is wealth what they did was better now we talked as we spoke about before about um uh black africans outperforming black caribbeans my personal be- reason for believe uh, thinking that's the case the reason why i think that is the case is because of the the approach that parents have to their kids an african family this is just an assumption is what i believe yeah will be pushing more that you have to study you have to do this you have to do that The, the family structure is more solid and it pushes people to it pushes something that has a better outcome yeah so then if you have a white family so, so like my family up north for example and uh their mentality which my dad tells me all the time um a lot of the people that when the mines shut down they stayed there even though there was no work there a lot of the mentality is it was good enough for me it's good enough for my kids so uh, uh, i don't know the kids eat crap food and someone comes in and goes do you know that food's actually bad for you because um blah blah blah, blah it can have heart disease and whatever else. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's good enough for me, so it's good enough for my kids. Mm-hmm. But certain families uh, want more for their kids. And I think that's innate in some cultures as well. Maybe not directly, we want more for our kids, yeah. but maybe the mentality to work more, to be pushed into studying more, yeah. is is, bet- is better for the kid. I know my grandad got on very well because um, a lot of people won't like me talking about this, but it's what he said and what my uncle said the education system in Jamaica at the time was a very old-school Victorian um, education system. Yeah. Um, and so it was it was strict. Yeah. But the byproduct of that is he was pretty well educated. He could speak very well and, you know, he got, got on very well, came to this country, drove a taxi, ended up run, uh, running a taxi school. So I think there's a lot of things that build up the overall picture. Like everyone goes on about, uh, you know the, the racist slur that people make about Jewish people yeah. about being money grabbing or whatever else yeah. the reason why people say that is because Jewish people outperform on, in almost every setting and uh, when it comes to education and wealth. wealth and it's so easy to say oh because they're like this in a negative way when, rather than actually looking at it and going, okay, why is this Jewish culture, which actually spreads across <laughs> it spreads all the way from Russia all the way down to um, North Africa. Yeah. So there's not any Jews left in North Africa anymore, but that's another topic of conversation. Um, they're very oppressed people. They're, they're put, put pushed down in pretty much every place they go. But they, they end up amassing wealth and have good education. I like to look at them and go, okay, why? They don't have, they don't get married and divorced. The divorce rate is very low. Education rate is very high. And they're not, um, they're humble
0: people. Humble people,
1: yeah. you, you know, if you, if you see the Orthodox Jews, the way to go about things, you don't see them in fancy cars and no. you know, nice clothes. In fact, in, because of the Torah, they wear the same.
0: They wear the same garment. clothes. Yeah. The <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 because the Old Testament saying it, they do it and they might save themselves some money in haircuts as well. If um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow so, so, so that's that, that, those bits of culture and those bits of um those traits mm. that people have like my my, my trait from um, my mum was it inadvertently has helped me to become what i think i'm personally think i'm wealthy um even though on a lot of metrics, I'm not. If you compare me to obviously rich people, super rich people, I'm not wealthy. But to me, I feel like I am. And I, what she did was she told me to think about what other people think when I say things. So you're not just saying something because it comes into your head. If I say this to, to you, I have to think about how, how you are I'm
0: receiving it and how I'm, how I'm interpreting it.
1: Yeah. And that's probably that trick or that way of thinking has probably helped me make more money in my life than any other thing. That I can think of and you have one individual thing. Yeah. She didn't mean for that to be, she doesn't meant for it to improve my life. Yeah. Um, or to for me to have a better relations with people. Yeah. But actually it's increased my my wealth. Yeah. Um and I think that's why it's very important to look at why. why do why do African immigrants outperform West Indian immigrants? You know, it we look the same to a racist white person or some person that wants to hold you back in life. You know, there's no real difference. What's the difference? You know, it's to them to them, obviously to me, I, I could <laughs> it's a lot of difference, yeah. but um, to, to them, what is the difference? Yeah. Um, so, if there is no difference, and a racist to be racist to you or to some guy from Kingston, then what is the difference? And the difference is the the culture and or, and the parenting and the education that's given. So then we should look at why is education better for people coming out of particularly West Africa, you know, around London. Why is it so much better? What can we learn from that? What can we learn from uh, the Indians and people from uh, and people from Asia that came over and did so well? Because this is exactly what they doing in, should do in America. Because mm-hmm. in America, the, the uh, there's more Koreans and it's Chinese, but the Koreans are out outperform um, uh, outperform white people. So better education, uh, make more money per year. And everyone goes on, like, uh, America's a white nationalist country, or like, or Donald Trump turned everyone racist and whatever else. It's like, <laughs> hold on a second. In a country that's so racist, why is it that um, Oriental people, I'm going to call them Oriental for, yeah, I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. But anyway, <laughs> oh, it's different between Asian and Indian, are, are Indi- Asian, Yeah. and the Americans Asian. They call Asians Eastern Asians, we call them Western. Yeah. Anyway, um, what is it that's but in such a racist, terrible country, how come these people are doing so well? so well? And that's really interesting to me. And why is it that Jamaican immigrants in America outperform indigenous black people?
0: Yeah,
1: That's a very interesting one to me, because it, over here, we feel like we've got a problem with uh, with race relations. But I don't think it's anything compared to America. And if you look at the statistics people in that country that are born there, bred there, maybe they've been the family's been there for hundreds of years, are being outperformed by uh, immigrants from uh, a country that has clearly got a completely different accent, different cultures and, yeah. and whatever else. Why, why is that happening? It might be immigrant advantage, uh, the fact that I have nothing and I need to make it, therefore I don't give a damn what anyone says about my chances and whatever else, I've got no option. I've got to make it it might be that or maybe there's something in the american culture that pushes back uh indigenous yeah. black people and i think yeah. that's i think that is what it is um from my research well, yeah. From what I think
0: yeah about. so so in closing that what would you what would your suggestions be for ethnic minority in terms of literally going out there because mm. i remember i still remember a, a, a sat that i read from uh, i'm trying to i think it was it was it was the telegraph or the guardian about mm-hmm. a year ago about the ethnic minority wealth stats stats on the on uh, you know in england mm-hmm. and and people of color especially black was yeah. literally on like literally zero yeah because not because we're not educated, mm. but it's because we're not financially educated, right? Yep. We don't understand the importance of investment mm. or we don't understand what a, a true investment is. So um, in terms mm. of, uh, you know, obviously immigrants' case was different because a lot of immigrants wasn't investing in this country. Mm. They will always repatriate their money back back home. Back yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm an immigrant, right? Mm. And I think I probably would have done that if I did know what I know now, maybe over the last 18 mm. years I've been in this country, you know, would be every money I made live mm. like a really pauper mm. in this country and then live like a king in Africa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So which is something that is most common within the black ethnic minority. Yeah. So for you know, Asians
1: as well, love.
0: Yeah, a lot of Asians as well, because we, yeah. we sell a lot of money to support people. Yeah. So, and, I mean, using property as that vehicle of wealth creation. Mm. So what do you think ethnic minority people can literally do more now mm. in this country to get onto the property ladder, to you know, get into property development, yeah. and to basically excel and mm. and 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 grow, you know, just in closing.
1: Okay, so this is why I think that America's got the biggest problem with its the way it treats its race relations, and that is that telling people, telling anyone, black, white, I don't care what your skin color is, what your religion is, what whatever is, if you tell people they are suppressed repressed, there's people out there trying to get them and push them down, all these things, they will do worse, they will do worse, because they don't look inside themselves for the solutions. In an imperfect world, you know, it's like whether you believe in, in God, or whether you believe in the the universe forming by its own accord, everything's imperfect. Mm. There is no perfection. And there won't ever be perfection, there will be better ways of doing things. If you tell someone from a very young age, this person is trying to hold you back, this thing's happening, this is this is gonna all these things are against you, you're gonna start believing it. When does a coach ever go to his team and go, look, lads, we're outskilled here, they've got a better performance, they're more fit than us, they've got a better track record. We're basically buggered. No no coach does that. if, If you're trying to G your team up to have the best performance of their life, you're gonna say, look, guys we may be the underdogs here but we are going to get this we are going to do this we're going to work harder as a team we're going to work da-da-da. but all of a sudden like Gw, up and you will perform better so my my number one piece of advice if i can give, if i can even give advice, a lot of people would be probably up not be happy with me giving my opinion on this because my skin's mm-hmm. not white so i haven't had the same lived experience as um as a black person down the road for me yeah. even on the same road yeah. but yeah i don't but you know, that there are better better spoken black people than me and there are richer black people than me and whatever else. We've all got our things that make us individuals. You know, it, it's like drawing. when people draw metrics and say black people perform this much and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, where do bald people perform? You know, should we start drawing the, the metric there? <laughs> yeah. uh, unless you can tell me what the problem is, as in someone's out there trying to stop you from doing better or there's an, an institution in place and then we can all, all of us can look at it and go, that's bullshit. That needs to stop right now. Yeah. You know, but if we can't find out what this problem is, then all I think is the problem is in here, and we need to do do better. The, the point I'm going to make about um, uh, why I believe that we can do better by um, believing that we can is because my uncle is very very successful. Um, he's he was a CEO of a FTSE 250 company, so one of the 250 biggest com- companies in the country um he won black business man of the year uh, award he's an M- mbe um or OBE. wait OBE. yeah one of them anyway <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's done very well for himself i know his life story from piecing together talks he's done and newspapers he doesn't talk about himself too much he's not braggadocious and whatever else even though he's done extraordinarily well he used to graft more than anyone else regardless of how smart he is regardless he's got great mental arithmetic but that doesn't really ma- make much difference when it comes to the world of business he used to work as a recruitment consultant smash it as a recruitment consultant, stay late and never uh, underneath the train station mm. the, the effort levels that he used to put in were insane and i can't look at him and look at his brother who hasn't done anything and think to myself okay the system's holding him back, but not him back because mm. they're exactly the same skin tone, exactly yeah. the same upbringing. Yeah. And I look at my mum and her sibling and, and her siblings. Every one of them's roughly the same as in you know they're from the same mum and dad or you know but they've all ended up in different places and it all ended up in different places because of the outlook. My mum would never spend money. I used to get a, a, a pair of clothes for, uh, for my birthday, just so I didn't look like a tramp when it, took, when it was birthday. Yeah. I didn't get my f- first pair of trainers, like, of any brand name until I was like 16 or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, th- There wasn't any money because to her, and this is actually coming back to what we're talking about, to her, the home was everything. So she maxed herself out to get this house. So if you looked at us, you'd be like, fuck, they live in a nice house. I mean, it was a big, big house, it wasn't nice, it was, it was, it was big. And a bit, people used to think I was rich. And like, but I never went to school with kickers or, or you know those you know, fashionable shoes. We never had a nice car. never had this and that. Because to her, it was all delayed gratification like yeah. we were talking about. It's all about I want to be, have a secure foundation okay. and then build up from that. And in the future, you know, I want to be safe and secure. Whereas my uncle, uh, my, one of my other uncles, is a taxi driver. He used to spend all his money on motorbikes. Just all his money. He's blissfully happy. It's great, but. You know, his personal choices have left him in a place where he's not going to be wealthy. He's going to be comfortable, he's fine, and he's got a million bikes, but, you know. Then my other uncle didn't do anything. He wanted to be a a rap rapper, he wanted to be a a dancer, he wanted to roll with a gang, he wanted to do this and that. He made those choices, which doesn't mean that we should say, oh, one uncle did this much and one uncle did this much because of the system. No, no, no. This is just because of his... Um, uh, choices that he's made and his effort levels and whatever else Yeah. so I think it's a bit of a it's far too simple to say black people are doing worse than other racial groups therefore the system's wrong I think that's a really easy answer um, what I'd rather do is say okay what can we actually do to get people out of that mentality like your kids if they start having a I can't have a I can't be wealthy like that I mean it's only rich people that keep wealth and you know and uh, you know if I don't know someone then I'm never going to make it blah, blah blah you wouldn't you wouldn't stand for that. yeah you'd be like what like, what are you talking about yeah. I came from another country to yeah. come here and I'm now I'm wealthy yeah the, what, what's your excuse yeah you know that, that, that will never be a thing because you're going to approach it differently Differently. and that's how I w- would like people to a- approach wealth. And I'm talking about every Everything. race, every race of people, because white people underperform lots of different um, ethnic groups of people. Mm. You know, or, or travellers are the lowest of the, of the education rankings. You know, but can we change people's mentalities in a positive way? Can we do it?
0: Absolutely. I, 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 I think absolutely, and that's why I use the word brainwash, right? Mm. So brainwash can either be a good thing and a bad thing. If I brainwash you now and say, "Oh, I think you're," you're the most successful person I've ever been. It's it's up to you to believe it or disbelieve it. If you believe it and go for it legitimately and to become great tomorrow. Mm. I remember when someone was told me, you talk very intelligent. I remember the days I used to drive Uber drive. I was an Uber driver. And every single time I picked up someone and we got into a conversation Mm. and every single time someone would ask me, are you sure this is only what you do for a living? And I always ask them, why? I said, because you sound very intelligent. And... When I got started in property, every single time I was learning, even though everything I was learning in property didn't make sense to me, mm. I kept remembering that lowest point of my life where I was, a, where I was an Uber driver mm. and people were telling me, oh, you know, you sound very intelligent, you mm. sound very this or that. And for me, that was a brainwash that mm. actually propelled me to become the person that I am yeah. because every skill that I've actually acquired mm. in the last six years I never thought I could acquire them from mm. speaking, from, you know, building a very massive community of quality influence, mm. to writing books, to even doing yeah. this podcast. Yeah. You know, I, I've i taken it the right way, not the wrong way. Mm. So it's the same way. I remember there was a day my daughter came to me from school and she said someone said she looked in a certain way mm. and she was feeling bad about it. I said, mm. are you serious? Somebody mm. said that. And I had to go on a rap round. Of the life the next two hours just boosting up our ego. Yeah. And that tomorrow she, that person tried to say the same thing to her. Mm. And she went in a certain way that um, the teacher had to put me over like mm. about a few days later and it's like, Your your daughter's behaving a bit different. Mm. And I smile because I know what I've told my daughter yes. and I know how much I've boosted it up. Mm. So brainwashing can either work negatively or, yeah. or 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 um or positively I'll mm. give you another example there was a time where I was depressed mm. and I was antidepressant for almost two years yeah, sure. and I was on the highest of the highest prescription mm. you know of 350 milligram of you know setting you know tablets and I remember the day I told myself the doctor said I'm depressed but I know I'm not depressed mm. and I literally started telling myself that every single day with yeah. prayers as yeah. well yeah. and two years later I woke up and I said, I'm not taking this again. Good. And I've never taken that tablet. It's been almost coming to three, four years now. I've never taken a sip of that, a, a, a tablet Good. to fight that 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 situation. Yeah. So depression or whatever you might be going through life, it's, it's like people telling you you're ugly and you say, oh, you're ugly. No, you want to look back in the mirror and say actually I'm the most beautiful creature ever created by God. So same thing, you know, when it comes to success, freedom and you name it, like like me you both agree just now mm. that success is not just about the money. Success is everything. For me, success and wealth is how much does my wife love me? How much mm. do I kiss my kids every single day to tell them they love me and mm. I love them? These are things I never got from my parents because I was mm. raised and born in an African family. Mm. So, you know, in just kind of bringing everything together, it just shows that before success, before growth, mm. comes pain. Whether you've been whether you've been deceived into having pains yeah. and you stay there, or whether you've been deceived into having pains and mm. and look back and that pain and use mm. it as the reason why you want to be successful or grow in anything in life, yes. so it's just been an absolute way to kind of uh, probably wrap this podcast. It's like one of the most interesting conversation I've ever had. Me too. I so I've really far, it. really, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patrick, for coming, man. I really appreciate Ooh, a it. Yep. So yeah. So just before we we go now, do you want to quickly share what exactly you do, if people need to reach out to you, what you do, how can you be of solution to someone? Because we are in a solution industry, right? Yeah, yeah. We are yeah. problem solvers.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I own an estate agency um, based in Clapham and SW12. I own a couple of turning shops called Radiance London, and you can buy a franchise of the business. Um, if you go and check uh, www.radiance.london, there's a tab and you can have a look at the franchise options that we've got there. Great way of having almost completely passive income. Um, a building company so building developments uh electrical refits and commercial premises uh, so properties like sushi samba uh in uh uh, liverpool street covent garden uh and we install medical equipment maintain medical equipment with reliance health and yeah i do all things property basically (laughs) later on this year there will there's going to be an investment fund set up um which is going to be by myself so my own own money it's not just um, all investors money i'm gonna have skin in the game um and it's gonna be all properties that i understand and uh probably quite local to where i am that i can oversee and take care of other people's money and help them do it for themselves one day as well
0: wow wow fantastic it's something that I want to go, but every time you speak, there's a question, in that, there's a question in your. So you said something there, uh, you know, inviting, you know, investing very locally property mm. that you understand. Yeah. How important is that for property investors to understand the, the property and then yeah. understand the local market and then invest the money? So,
1: uh, I think in general, people are undereducated when it comes to property. Mm. Just, just in general. I mean, for example, my. My dad's best friend up north, his son got an education down in London, did really well for himself, went back up north because he's got money in comparison to up north where you can buy a a two bedroom terrace. So the the house my dad grew up in was back on the market for 20 grand or the house next door, 20,000 pounds for a two bedroom house. Um, So this guy ended up, who's like a cousin almost, um, went back up north and started buying these little terrace houses. And my dad was like, oh, he's doing so well. He's bought five of these houses. And I'm like, all right, why? Like, why, the area is like, it's one of the worst areas in the country. It's, it's like deprived, it's, it's terrible. He's buying a house for 20, 30 grand, and I am spending five, 10 grand on it, doing it up, and then renting it out for, let's say a 6% return. Maybe, maybe more, Maybe, maybe say, let's say 10. I was like, yeah, dad, but then when you take into account, if the boiler goes, he can write off a year's profit there, two, two or three years profit, because they only rent for like 300 pound a month, uh, not 300 pound a month, less than that, 150, 200 pound a month. So it's like, well, there's you know, a year's worth of rent gone Go because on. your boiler's broken down. Plus there's no capital uplift. Like those houses- they're have just their flat. They've been worth 20 grand since I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that long, but yeah, for a good decade or two decades, they've been worth that much and they haven't moved anywhere. So you're always relying on that 10%, and that 10% is going to get butchered by any repairs you've got to make. Yeah. I don't see that as a wise investment. You see it as a wise investment because you own more property. That's not that's not the end game for me. Wow. Um, you know, but my, my end game is becoming a large member in the property community that has connections, that knows people, that knows what he's talking about, whose credibility is high, um, which is another reason why I don't lie, because if I lie, then my credibility is gone then you can forget about investors, you can forget about the reputation that you've built up. You know, I'm not selling Samuel Leeds-style yeah. property courses. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, you know, that bubble will burst at some at some point for him, I'm sure. But um, I'd say most people are undereducated when it comes to property, and they could do with actually looking at the big picture. Um, and it's not just people that aren't educated in general, as in people that have a high school-level education, and that's, and that's it, and they, they will go work at... Tesco's or selling windows or, or whatever else, not to disparage them people because everybody you need a village to raise a boy, you need a little bit of everything to make the world go round. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is I work with bankers, property uh not property investors, I work with bankers, accountants, lawyers, uh like incredibly smart people, smart people, ridiculously well educated, um, and masters in their field. And then they buy a property and they balls it up because they haven't educated themselves in that field. Lovely, they think yeah. it's as easy as you buy some bricks and mortar and you will make money. They make money. It's, it's not true. It's never been true of any market ever. It's, Absolutely. Like when you say it always goes up, it's like, that is not true. It's, it's gonna happen, it's gonna fall, it's gonna cr- collapse, yeah. and you're gonna be holding the baby and then, yeah.
0: Great, wow. Patrick, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to have you like on the <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so great to have you on this Wealth and Business podcast. So, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you. So, for those of you uh, who want to reach out to Patrick, please go and follow him on his social media and reach out to him for any sort of property um, investments, estate agency management, and uh, sales as well. So um, yeah, for those of you who are already following us, uh, make sure you look out for the the links to the YouTube channel. This is going to be on the YouTube channel so you can actually watch it live as well. And make sure you register for our up and coming wealth and business summit in November 2022. And also watch out for the links coming out for our wealth and business awards coming up in November 2022 as well. So you get yourself registered once the links are going to be announced in about two months from now. So it's been an absolute pleasure again on another episode of the Wealth and Business Podcast. Thank you for coming, Patrick. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.